0: You're listening to Oodles of Financial Advice with Jeremy Oodle, I mean Udell. Jeremy is a certified financial planner. He's licensed in Florida to sell insurance. He has Series 7, 24, and 65 securities licenses, and he's here to give you Oodles of Financial Advice. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Happy so many of you have come back for another bowl of Oodles with me. As we approach February, starting to get towards Valentine's Day here. What are your Valentine's Day plans? I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to comment on the podcast or shoot me an email, Jeremy at jeremyatwealthenjoyment.com. Let me know what you're doing for your loved ones. Have you put a little money aside to maybe go on a vacation or to buy a gift? What are you doing special with your special someone? I also am going to talk about one of my greatest fears today. As we come to the end of January, it's a big anniversary and it reminded me of one of my greatest fears. I'm looking forward to telling you all about that. But before I get to that, just a reminder that you can find more of this podcast pretty much anywhere podcasts are hosted Spotify, iTunes, Google, and almost any other podcast site you can think of, you can find oodles of financial advice. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can also check out my YouTube channel, Udell in a Nutshell. And I also have a book. If you're interested in reading some of my thoughts on how you can retire happily ever after, feel free to reach out to me. Again, shoot me an email, jeremy at wealthandjoyment.com, or you can call me 941-951-0443. Perhaps my greatest fear, as pretty much anyone who knows me will tell you, is spiders. They freak me out. They always have. My mom is scared of spiders, so I think she may have partially instilled that fear into me, but I have taken it Well beyond anything she ever showed me in the way of fear. To give you some examples, when I was in my teenage years, further along in them that I probably would like to acknowledge, I saw a spider in my bathroom, in the bathroom I used growing up. Rather than call someone for help or try and kill it myself, I left the bathroom closed the door, put a towel by the crack, and just left that bathroom alone. Yep, that bathroom now belonged to that spider forever. As far as I was concerned, that bathroom was dead to me. My parents luckily figured out what was going on, and my mom went in, found the spider, and killed it. Yes, my mom, who taught me to be scared of spiders, bravely went in there and took out what was not a particularly large House spider. However, my scariest time dealing with a spider was in college. I lived for a year at my fraternity house, AE Pi, Alpha Epsilon Pi fraternity at the University of Florida, has since been rebuilt. My room no longer exists as it existed back in 1998 and 99 when I was living at the Alpha Epsilon Pi fraternity. But the room I lived in had a loft, and we had a, like a couch and TV on top of the loft and a bed underneath. My roommate and I each had a bed separated by a piece of plywood, twin-sized beds underneath this loft. One day, I woke up from sleeping in my bed underneath the loft, and I noticed a fairly large shadow in the corner of my loft right towards the front where I would usually crawl out. That shadow was a golden orb spider. Now, I didn't know what that spider was called at the time. I just knew it was a spider that was as big as my hand. The thing took up an entire corner of my loft and It was not blocking the door, but it was close enough to it that I was worried that if I crawled by it, I'd startle it and it'd crawl right towards me, and I probably would have a heart attack and die, even if it wasn't poisonous. If you don't know, a golden orb spider is not particularly poisonous. It can bite you, but it leaves something akin to a mosquito bite, maybe a little worse, but basically a welt. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know what I was looking at, except for a huge spider. Luckily, I summoned the courage, dove out of my loft by that spider, and ran down the hallway and found one of my brothers, Mr. Peter Goldstein. Thank you very much, Peter, for being brave. I asked him if he was scared of spiders, and he said, no, not particularly. I brought him back to my room, and he went underneath the loft and said, where is it? Oh, my God, and jumped backwards when he saw how big the spider was, but then he went ahead and killed that sucker for me. He was my hero that day. (laughs) So why am I talking about this fear of spiders? I was reminded of it because we're coming up on a rather large anniversary for a very important spider. That would be the first exchange-traded fund, the 30th anniversary of its debut, the Spider S&P 500 fund. Yep, you can find that still on the stock exchanges. It is still traded to this day, and it was the first exchange-traded fund, ETF, as they are colloquially known as. Before ETFs existed, if you wanted to invest in a basket of securities, you had to buy either your own individual securities and assemble them into your own portfolio, or you could buy mutual funds. ETFs are different because they are traded directly on the stock exchange. One of the big differences between mutual funds and exchange-traded funds is that you can trade exchange-traded funds in the middle of the trading day, whereas mutual funds, you can't trade until the market closes and the net asset value of that fund is calculated, and then you can redeem those shares for whatever the end-of-day trading value was. Meanwhile, in the middle of a day with an ETF, if you have own shares of an ETF— you can sell those in the midst of a day. So if the market's dropping and you want to get out of your ETF in the middle of a trading day, you can do that. Or if it's going up and you want to buy in or sell or whatever you want to do, you can do that right in the middle of a trading day, whereas with mutual funds, you have to wait. There are other differences between ETFs and mutual funds. One of the big ones is the taxable nature of ETFs tend to be lower than mutual funds. A big piece of that is because ETFs tend to be what's called passively invested. They usually buy and hold stocks that are similar to an index fund and don't really redeem those stocks in and out unless the composition of their underlying index, they're tracking changes. So they're very passive and don't have as much stock trading within the fund as actively managed mutual funds. Although index mutual funds, have a very similar amount of trading and therefore may have less turnover and taxable redemptions than ETFs, uh, than other mutual funds, I should say. ETFs and index mutual funds may have similar levels of trading. However, when a investor in a mutual fund wants to redeem their shares, that can cause more of a taxable event even to an index mutual fund than it may to an ETF for various reasons. So the taxable nature of ETFs can be a benefit versus mutual funds. Now, which of these is right for you? That really depends on what you're looking for in your investment plan. If you prefer passive investing, ETFs may make the most sense, along with perhaps index mutual funds as a consideration, depending on what the fees they're charging are and some other ideas you might be looking at. And another way you might consider is, do you want active management? Do you want the thinking of an underlying investment manager? Well, all in all, there are still a lot more actively managed mutual funds than there are exchange-traded funds. But in honor of the debut of that spider 30 years ago, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about exchange-traded funds then I might also share with you. An interesting story about the fact that I am terrified of spiders, have been terrified of spiders my entire life, and continue to find them to be one of the things I want to avoid most in the world. Hope you enjoyed that story about ETFs and spiders. Have you ever had an investment decrease in value from the beginning of one year to the end of that year and yet still had that investment pass through taxable gains to you? If so, there's a good chance you owned mutual funds, not in a tax-qualified account like an IRA or 401k or Roth IRA, but in a non-qualified account, especially in the last couple years, we've seen this several times, where the underlying investment decreased in value, the mutual fund decreased, but the actual mutual fund had taxable gains passed through to those investors. I'm bringing this up because in the first segment I talked a little bit about the difference between ETFs and mutual funds. And I briefly mentioned that the taxable nature of ETFs can differ from mutual funds. When you sell an ETF, you're selling shares of a fund whatever gains are associated with those shares you'll pay taxes on or if you took a loss you'll be able to to some extent take that loss against other gains and other income but it'll be based on the share price you paid and any increases or decreases in that share's value with mutual funds It's not about buying shares of that mutual fund the same way. When shares are redeemed of a mutual fund, the manager has to sell stocks within the mutual fund to liquidate those redemptions. And if there are gains that are liquidated to redeem those shares in a given year, those gains are passed through to everyone who owns that mutual fund. Well, that... may be very disappointing to hear that the mutual fund as a whole could go down, but if stocks inside the fund were sold for a gain within that calendar year, even though your value decreased, you may still get a 1099, especially if they're not owned inside of a tax-qualified account like an IRA or 401k. You could pay tax on gains on a fund that went down. We have seen that a lot recently. We had one client come to us and say, how did I end up paying $5,000 of tax on a fund that went down? And we explained to them that the manager had to redeem funds. People were selling out of that mutual fund. And when the investors were selling those mutual fund shares, that manager had to sell shares to redeem those values. And there must have been gains in there that passed through. What can you do to avoid that problem? Well, if you decide you don't want to own mutual funds but just want to own directly stocks and bonds yourself, you can avoid some of that. ETFs also, as I pointed out in the first section, have a little different taxable nature. But another thing you can look for is tax-managed mutual funds or tax-managed investments. In those situations, what can happen with tax management is that when redemptions happen or just on an actively managed basis, a manager can look at the shares that they are trying to dispose of and offset the sales of gains against parts of their portfolio that have losses and hopefully mitigate some of those pass-throughs. Now, if a fund is increasing over time, you'll likely still see some 1099 gains, but it may not be quite the tax hit that you have seen with some of the mutual funds that don't actively manage for tax management. Those type of funds may cost a little more because they're being very actively managed. So that's something to be aware of. You may have an offsetting problem of a higher fee inside of a mutual fund, which by the way, actively managed mutual funds are likely to have higher fees than passive mutual funds like index funds or ETFs because the active management means that they're working more hours, so to speak, paying attention to what stocks are being bought and sold. But... For those funds that you aren't sheltered in some way inside of a tax-qualified account, even such as a variable annuity, but as I said, those IRAs and 401ks, if you own a non-qualified fund, it might be good to seek out something that has tax management. Even if you're paying a little higher fee, you may still find a net overall benefit to you to not pay as high a tax, especially for those high earners who are in the highest tax brackets. We look for tax management as much as possible. We care a lot about making sure our clients don't pay any tax that they shouldn't have to pay because the government isn't going to be looking out for you per se. That's on you to try to find ways to minimize your own tax bill. And we like to help our clients wherever we can, even though we're not CPAs, And we don't do that on tax returns per se. When it comes to investing, we always try to find the best ways to maximize our clients' overall tax situation in their investments and going into the future. Are you going out for Valentine's Day? I have to tell you, my wife and I used to go out regularly on Valentine's Day. I would look forward to it every year. I'd make a reservation for us and we'd get real romantic, give each other some gifts. I'd buy her flowers. And then we'd go out to a lovely dinner at one of our favorite restaurants. But a few years ago, we realized going out on Valentine's Day just wasn't for us anymore. Not because we didn't want to be romantic with each other. If anything, I've tried to be more romantic with my wife as the years have progressed, just to keep that spark alive. But Valentine's Day has become really over saturated, let's put it that way. And the experience I had that really set us back had to do with what happens on restaurants a lot of times during Valentine's Day. Now, I don't know what your favorite restaurant is like, maybe it's not like this, but two or three years in a row at different restaurants, we found that when you make a reservation for Valentine's Day, because so many people are trying to go out, some of the most popular restaurants will do a prefix menu where they will only be offering certain of their entrees for that day. Maybe three appetizers, four entrees, a couple desserts. And you pick one and it's the same price for everyone or maybe there are a few upgrades you can choose from. But it's a pared down menu. And... The most recent time that happened to us, not only was it a limited menu, but it was, even beyond that, disappointing. We'd been going to this restaurant for several years. And again, I'm not going to say the name. What I will say is that restaurant isn't in business anymore, and that may be partially because it did start to decline. But it had one particular dish that was our favorite. It was this avocado filled with tuna and rice and some spicy sauce. It was delicious. We both just looked forward to that every time we went to this restaurant. And I double-checked when I made the reservation that that would be available, even on their prefix menu, when I went to the restaurant that day. It turned out the tuna was a little off that day. The avocado was not fresh. The rice seemed overcooked. They just were trying to do too many of those avocado dishes at the same time because they were limiting everyone. It seemed like maybe they'd pre-prepped everything. Maybe some of this ingredients had sat out too long, not been paid as close attention to. On that day, my wife said, you know what, Jeremy, if we're going to do Valentine's Day at all, I think we should probably stick to doing it at home. We can make ourselves a nice dinner. If we still wanna go out to a dinner, we could always still celebrate our Valentine's Day on the weekend before or after, or a different weeknight, whatever. But why go on the day with everyone else when the restaurants are so slammed that even the ones we love and the dishes that we enjoy so much aren't going to be what we want? I'm throwing that out there to say, if you love going out to dinner, on Valentine's Day, and it's a staple of yours, good on you. Keep doing it. But don't be scared of having an idea of doing it a little differently. Why does it have to be on the day itself? Why not do something at home? I know my wife loves it when I cook for her. She finds it very romantic to watch me moving around the kitchen, making something special for her. I recommend everyone take a look at that and rethink their Valentine's Days. Don't get into the formula, especially if the formula has started to go just a little bit sour on you. Whatever you're doing for Valentine's Day, though, let me know. Do you have any restaurants you love? Do you have any rituals that maybe I haven't talked about here? Please feel free to shoot me an email. Give me a call. Let's talk Valentine's Day. What are you doing this year? And I look forward to hearing from all of you soon. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody that's it for the podcast today I want to thank Megan Udell my producer again for producing this podcast and doing such a great job with it everything going on behind the scenes getting it approved by compliance and getting it edited getting it posted to wherever you are listening to it on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere else that's all Megan and I couldn't do it without her Again, thanks to everyone who has supported me so far on this journey. I got a little tease for you here. I'm going to have another guest on this podcast pretty soon, and I'm really looking forward to that. We will be discussing a very unusual topic. Still sticking in the financial world, but maybe not this galaxy? How is that possible? You'll have to tune in to find out. I'm very much looking forward to that. Again, if you'd like to hear more from me, check out my YouTube channel, Udell in a Nutshell. And if you'd like to read my book, Retire Happily Ever After, reach out to me for that as well. Comment, subscribe, and I look forward to talking to you all again soon. Have a very happy Valentine's Day, and then come back here when I'll have more oodles for your noodle.